Well, happy anniversary, Church of the Savior. Yay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm sure when the church uh, was planted, you know, you just never know. <laughs> but here we are. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So I just uh, want to think tonight about 18 years in, where are we as a church? How are we doing? What's our state of the union? Amen. <laughs> I love this chance each year to just kind of reflect on, on how we're doing and try to answer that. And I realized the way I, I want to word it this year, and I really think it's a better way, is where do we see Jesus building this church? Where do we see Jesus building up this church? Remember, it's good to remember that what Jesus it, uh, what Jesus told Peter. He said, I will build my church. Yes, I'm going to build it on you, Peter. I'm going to build it through you. You're, you're going to sacrifice and suffer for me. But remember who's building the church is me, not you. Yeah. Jesus does know carpentry, after all. <laughs> and back in those days, it probably included stonemason work. So, you know, where do we look around this church and see... Jesus laying in stone or swinging a hammer. Uh, it's easy for me and I think many pastors to forget that Jesus is the one who's building the church. One of the great temptations in pastoral work is to capital M, capital T, capital H, make things happen. To try to rev things up and create enthusiasm and to not instead discern and collaborate with how Jesus is building up the church. And what a difference it makes. Uh, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood up to the Nazis, I have his words in my prayer journal, and I review them often. He says, quote, It is not we who build. Christ builds his church. Whoever is mindful to build the church, meaning they're trying to be the church builder, and trust me, there's been a lot of meetings with whiteboards where you know, <laughs> that was essentially the, the vibe, is surely well on the way to destroying it. For he'll build a temple to idols without wishing it or knowing it. Wow. So what are we supposed to do instead? Well, Bonhoeffer says, he says, we must confess he builds. We must proclaim he builds. We must pray to him and he will build. So tonight I just want to offer four areas where, as I thought about it over these weeks, I feel like I see Jesus at work building this church, and we could probably make a very long list. I know I could have gone a lot more, but for the sake of time, I'll keep myself to four. And as I thought through these, each one made me feel really grateful. And I hope that's the feeling you have tonight as we think about this together. All right, number one, I see Jesus building, or maybe we should say rebuilding, our community. It wasn't that long ago that we spent 16 months on Zoom. 16 months on Zoom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And now we've spent 16 months worshiping in person again. It was 16, and now it's 16. And, uh, wow, you know, for any church, so much was lost during COVID. You don't hear people singing. You can't give them a hug or a handshake. You can't stop and say, how you doing? You can't see in their eyes. They're not doing well. And, and, and pray with them or help them. 
So now, though, that we've had 16 months back together again, I, I really feel like the Lord is restoring what the virus has eaten. <laughs> I, I see more and more new, uh, longer timers and, and newer folks getting to know each other. Um, I noticed that some at the all-church retreat, the end of summer picnic, some last night at the bonfire, and I trust that'll just continue as we have some of these gatherings where uh, thanks to Pastor Sarah and Hope for putting those together, we have, would you say, almost 60 people participating, which is awesome. Uh, in addition, our ministry with our third through fifth graders uh, was able to reopen this fall, and I really want to thank uh, the many of you who stepped forward to make that happen. Um, I love that. And I also see a lot of care going on for each other. It's, it's quite common when I check in on somebody to see how they're doing, I find out uh, they've already been visited by somebody in the church. They got there first. <laughs> already there was a flower left or a card there. I know that Karen and I have felt very deeply cared for this summer, which is a long, hard summer, truly. Thank you. Thank you. So I see Jesus rebuilding our community, and that makes me happy. All right, number two, I see Jesus building our youth ministry. Uh, as most of you know, uh, our longtime youth pastor, who was resident at All Souls, Father Andrew, moved away in June of last year. And as the staff and vestry discussed, what should we do now? Um, we just really felt that it was right to take the leap and host a youth ministry here within uh, the context of Savior. And we're about nine months in now, and I continue to feel that was the right call. I see our youth getting to know each other uh, better than, than before. I see the group taking form. As Pastor Steve described the group, uh, great goofiness and great insights, <laughs> which sounds like the making of a great youth group. Um, and we have the joy of welcoming um, students from outside of Savior, which has been a grace and a gift. So I, number two, I see Jesus building a youth ministry here. Number three, I see Jesus continuing to build a healthy leadership culture. Let me tell you why I'm so grateful for that. Um, from the beginning, 18 years ago, bless you, uh, Father Bill and Mother Linda and the many other leaders that Karen already mentioned, for laying in a culture in which there was collaboration, um, a, a basic humility to the leadership, a godly heart for the leadership. Beautiful thing. Karen coaches many church leaders from across the country, and she will tell you, in recent years, churches have had their leadership health tested severely over politics and, and COVID and racial justice and so many other things, and I just feel really deeply grateful that here we stand uh, some years in from those major dividing points and our staff have remained unified, our vestry as well, our clergy as well. Praise the Lord. This is, thank you, Lord. So, and also I just have to say in each one of those leadership circles, I see a lot of maturity. I see people who take their work seriously and they're doing it for all of you. Um, so thank the Lord. All right, number four, and here's where I'm going to spend most of my time. Uh, I see Jesus building our outward journey. And then I realize it's kind of a mixed metaphor. So I'm going to say, I see Jesus building the road for our outward journey. 
All right. At Savior, we talk about the inward journey and the outward journey. Those names were coined by uh, a woman, Elizabeth O'Connor, at Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., which was one of the inspirations for our own name, Church of the Savior. And we've been happy to also take up this language of inward journey and outward journey. The inward journey, as you might guess, stands for the life of prayer and worship and going deeper in our relationship with God. And I have to say, for 18 years, uh, Savior, we've done a lot of work here. Um, One of the most important, actually, is forming and protecting a weekly worship service that is about making space for God, not performing. That takes a lot of care and discipline. Um, We also have the three S's, Sabbath, silent retreats, and spiritual directors. Those are in place. If you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, we have a culture and resources and language to come around you and say, I mean, we're not perfect, of course, but we would love to help you. Um, And I think that's a real gift. Um, at, At Savior's 17th anniversary last fall, I said, now I'd love to see us get a little clearer on what shape our outward journey is, go- is to take. Um, and I thought we could benefit from that. So over the last year, I've held uh, a number of conversations with staff, vestry, clergy, and then we invited the whole parish for input uh, to say, what should we be doing in the way of our outward journey? Uh, not that we haven't been doing it, please don't misunderstand me, but just get clear for this season. Um, and so to start the conversation, I laid out six ways that you'll see churches approach the outward journey. Local compassion, evangelism, church planting, justice, workplace, and global mission. (laughs) Now, obviously, all six of those are worthy. We don't want to exclude any. That's not the point of the exercise. But the conversation was about, okay, since every church has limited time, money, and energy, we're not going to do all six with the equal amount of those things. So what's kind of our first, second, third? What's our house blend, you might say? And uh, we actually had uh, rather similar responses across the conversation groups. Um, And here, here you go. So the first was local compassion, and that is no surprise. I think that was unanimous, Um, because, Savior, you love to give to our neighbors in need. It just overwhelms me every year. Uh, Not only do you give through our monthly budget, but with Good Friday gift as well. And uh, I, I know that goes straight to the heart of God. As he says through the prophet Isaiah in tonight's reading, isn't this the kind of fasting I've chosen? Isn't this what I really, really want? To share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Uh, Savior, you have shared your food with the hungry, literally with a Good Friday gift to People's Resource Center year before last. And then this past year, you've provided the poor wanderer with shelter when we uh, gave uh, to PADS. Um, And so placing this first on our outward journey, I think, says we want to continue to do this. God's given us a heart around this. And we have these trusted ministry partners who have social workers. They have legal teams. They have skill and expertise that they've built up over time. So we support outreach, community ministries, World Relief Chicagoland, 
People's Resource and uh, Churches United for Hardship Assistance, all of these local qualified works to extend our ministry into the community in ways that as one local church we couldn't do as well. Praise the Lord, they're there. And so our growth edge is really to add to our giving, which is generous, bless the Lord, serving. Now COVID kind of slowed down that process, but like I thought, we, we love to give gifts to the Outreach Christmas store. I'd love to see some folks from here volunteer to serve in the store now that that's possible again. But anyway, that's number one. I love that local compassion is just deeply important part of our outward journey. As Bishop Todd says, it is impossible to be Christ-like and not show care and compassion to others. So, uh, next in our outward journey mix uh, in the conversation was justice. And this one actually drew the most conversation. And I would summarize the conversation this way. We have a special heart to love well those who have been unjustly treated. And part of the reason they're in the fix they're in was because there were unjust systems. So during COVID, we wanted to give money as a vestry to uh, communities who were suffering disproportionately from COVID. Guess what? They're minority communities because there hasn't been the investment in healthcare in education and all the all, public sanitation, all these kind of things. And so we did that. Um, and, and Isaiah says that that is just deeply, deeply in the heart of God. Uh, I'll find the quote here in a minute. Uh, there we go. To, isn't this the fast I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. At the same time that we have that heart, um, it is true, and, and we kind of laughed about this, by temperament, we are much more likely to hug you than to march on City Hall. <laughs> so, okay, so then what do we do? Uh, and I, I like how one person put it, Church of the Savior has gifts in looking out for people who are in spiritual pain or physical pain or relational pain, and we offer them our vulnerability and listening, it seems part of our DNA to slow down, listen, involve, learn from. So we're gonna try to lean into that. And so the way I would say where the conversation got as far as it has is we wanna educate ourselves and advocate for others. Educate ourselves and advocate for others. Now you can't do that for every suffering person and every group, right? So uh, I would say the two areas where I feel like we've done the most work already would be uh, with refugees and immigrants and for persons with disabilities. Just in terms of talking, learning, there's either been book studies or sermon series and so on. The heart for refugees and immigrants comes partly because we've had such a long supportive relationship with World Relief in Chicagoland and our own Catherine Norquist works there. And, and partly it's because we live here did you know that in all of Illinois, second only to Chicago for the resettlement of people is this area? And it's, it's largely because of the presence of world relief, as, but there are other groups, of course, as well. And when you see a refugee or an immigrant, in so many cases, they've been treated unjustly. That's why they had to flee if they're refugees. 
and then this, the second area I'll mention is uh, uh, persons with disabilities. When we preached on disability theology last fall, uh, the response was really astonishing to me. I, you could sense it was one of those landmark series in our life as a people. And I mean, it's astonishing to me that in a church this size, we actually have two people who have fo done formal graduate study in disability theology. <laughs> Isn't that amazing to you? It is to me. Not to mention we have so many people who've done, gotten a PhD in life, living as a person with disabilities or with a loved one who similarly has a condition or a need that has uh, a need for care. And so uh, what is this going to look like for us as a church? I don't know yet. <laughs> if you have interest, contact Pastor Sarah. Um, but what, what I do know is that we'll continue our learning in these areas. And we're, we're going to do it the Savior way. Not so much uh, fighting for the big cause, but getting to know people and trying to serve people with real needs and real names. Um, relationally. And again, uh, relying uh, on the partners who know more than we do. All right, so that's justice. And then the third area, which uh, was listed on our outward journey, and I'll kind of, this will be the third and final one I'll mention tonight, is church planting, which got votes, I think, mostly on the power of, well, hey, we're already doing it. Um, <laughs> but what many of us may not know is that our first attempt at church planting is actually going very well. Praise the Lord, because like I said, church plants are, are a risky business. Um, but we uh, are just going to enter next year, year four of the process with Christ Our Peace Anglican in Oak Park. And as uh, Mother Sandy and I talked recently, I think they'll be released into full independence sometime in the first half of this coming year. Yeah. Uh, the church is growing. I see Roger here. Lord willing, he'll be their first deacon. Um, it, it's healthy. It's involved in the community. It's built good relationships with both white and black churches in Oak Park. They're developing the community fridge. There's just a lot of signs of vitality. Bless the Lord. Um, so I think, I think we need to celebrate that and, and, and really appreciate what God has done. Now, I will say, I don't think we yet have a clear shared vision for church planting. And that's on me. So I actually had like eight great reasons in my notes and Karen said, that's too much, take it out. But <laughs> <laughs> that'll be in the newsletter <laughs> in a few weeks, so look for that. All right, now what does having church planting as a part of our outward journey mix mean for us at Church of the Savior right now? Nothing for a while. I'll tell you why. We're just finished finishing giving birth to a, 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 a church. And uh, I've never given birth, but I've been with some people who have. And you need to rest. Okay. Tom Howard sent me a great note and he said, I've been involved in several church plants over the years, but usually as part of the plant, the daughter church, not the mother church. So I underestimated how much the birthing process takes out a mom. And I read that, I was like, sage advice, man. <laughs> You're right. And so I think like a new mom, we should feel great joy. Uh, this new church is birthed in the world in a location we can't be serving people 
that, that we cannot. Not to mention, it's gonna take some time to rebuild our local mission funds, to continue to renew our own community life, to restore our own budget, because we also sent off givers, bless the Lord. So anyway, so right now I would say the posture I feel toward church planning is gratitude, super grateful. I'm open and I think we should be open to the future, what God may do, but I also know we need to rest and we need to replenish. So um, if I start to mention it uh, very soon, you can shoot me. Okay. (laughs) Now here's why I love this clearer outward journey. Number one, as I look it over, it feels like Savior. It doesn't feel like we just went and bolted this on because we came back from a conference and got excited about something. It, it feels like a natural extension of who we've already been as a people and where we want to grow. Um, two, it does give us direction. We're not out to save the whole world, but it gives us a direction, a path on which we can take small, stang- tangible steps year after year. Okay. And three, we already have the heart to do it and we have the leadership. Um, I mentioned Pastor Sarah already, but she knows Savior well. She knows our inward journey. She can help integrate our inward journey with the outward journey as we start taking steps on that. So we've asked her to, to help us with this area as well. And she said, yes, and I'm delighted. In fact, one of the reasons why we're having those prayer praise meetings uh, this year, more of them, is Sarah said, you know, if we're going to start taking outward steps, we need to be praying. I was like, yeah. Uh, so that was one of the uh, threads, I guess, that went into the, the establishment of those. Okay. I just want to say, Karen and I are so blessed to be here and be part of Savior, to, to get to know you, to lead you, to serve you. Uh, we're just excited to see how Jesus is building this church. Uh, he's building us up on the inward journey and now he's giving us greater clarity for our outward journey. Um, so to close tonight, I'm gonna add a, I wanna share, this is kind of a, a topic shift, but I think nonetheless deserves to be in this message. I wanna share a word that Kim Sanford, our missionary to France, who spoke here in last week's service, sent me an email following that service. And she said this, She said, I so enjoyed being with you all this past weekend. I wanted to share an impression I had toward the end of the service. As we were singing, blessed be your name, I felt that the Holy Spirit was distinctly pointing out numerous people in the congregation who have been walking through difficult things. And as we sang the verse, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. She says, I sense the Lord saying, Church of the Savior, you are doing this well. I, and she, she says, I see you all blessing the Lord despite and in the midst of varying degrees of wilderness experiences. This is one of the ways that I think Savior just brings so much honor to God. One final element of this impression she uh, finishes, was the little boy who was tearing around with a giant smile on his face as we were singing this song. If you were here, you may have noticed that. Um, uh, With a giant smile on his face as we were singing it, and as we were singing of desert places, he epitomized unbridled joy and delight. 
She says, our own little house church chooses a theme every year, and this, this year we're exploring joy in the desert. Isaiah 35 has been especially meaningful to me on this topic. May you know and love the Savior Jesus more and more every day. Grace and peace, Kim. Amen. Let's take a, a moment of silence, and then I'd love to lead in prayer.